So is this where we're at? Is this it? Huh? So President Biden could push his agenda with impunity, right? President Biden could do whatever he wants and he cannot be investigated while he's in office and cannot be charged after he steps down, right? Is that what I'm getting to? So this January exception, this last month when he's in office, when the next president comes in after he's finished with his term, he could go buck wild, do whatever he wants, and he will not be charged after he steps down as president. So you know what? Come on, President Biden, do whatever they do, whatever you want. It's okay with the Republican Party. Why not arrest the uh, suspected uh, insurrectionists in the Congress? You know, remove those guys immediately. We don't need them. But you know what? No, it doesn't apply to him. It doesn't apply to any of the Democrats. It only applies to uh, whoever those. 43 Republicans wanted to apply to, and that should never be a rule of law. So that intro was from Chris Liu on Reddit. It was edited a little bit from what he wrote, but uh, it resonated with me, um, especially after hearing Mitch McConnell's speech and everything, because this impeachment trial, they kept saying, too, that they were in, like, uncharted territories. There's nothing to base this off of, which Trump's defense was trying to say, like, well, there's nothing in the books about this, because no president has ever been accused of inciting an insurrection on the on the U.S. government. No one before in history has sent a mob angry seditionists to actually attack congress stop the transition of power murder the vice president and speaker of the house and other uh, members of congress but yeah it was just entirely different and it's just it's not just it was about like convicting trump it's about future um dictators trying to attack democracy and steal power to put this in place and you know what even though the conviction didn't go through this is still something for future impeachment houses to reference to start um trump's lawyer i think this is like vanderbeam or so i'll get in details with them uh later on but he uh snidely referred to uh, the doctrine as raskin doctrine uh jamie raskin is the uh head of the he was the lead of the impeachment house and he <laughs> jamie actually embraced that going he was like well not a lot of people have doctrines name after them that's going to be the name of it then go for it the raskin doctrine is something to reference now or the future this is something that should be studied in schools and classes keep in mind this wasn't a fair trial half of congress was they made up their mind before it actually started and the other half needed 17 of them to actually to vote. Some of them were impartial jurors. Some of them were just knew that there was a conviction in their heart. But most of them, 43 of them, were just saying that, you know, they were just going to quit and just try to make a mockery of this. Had no disrespect. There was reports of people like Josh Howley had his feet up on his phone. Um, Rand Paul was just looking at random papers, just doodling, ignoring things. These guys made up their minds well early on. So it was used in place, actually, because this couldn't go uncalled for what Trump did on January 6th. At the same time, it was a long shot, but it was still a try to try to get him convicted for 
and inciting insurrection to actually uh, quote what he was being charged for. So Tuesday was the first day of the trial. And that was actually, it was a bit like, a, it was the trial itself, but the impeachment house had to show their evidence and prove why what they were bringing to the Senate was constitutional for a trial. Now, for starters, the impeachment managers were representatives from the House who drafted a trial and presented uh, the lead manager who actually uh, he drafted the articles of impeachment for incitement of insurrection is Jamie Raskin. Um, then there is Diane DeGette from Colorado. Jamie Raskin's from Maryland, by the way. He's a representative from Maryland. Diane DeGette, representative from Colorado. David Cicilline, um, representative of Rhode Island. Joaquin Castro, representative from Texas. Eric Swalwell, a representative from California. Ted Lou, another representative from California. Stacy Plaskett, representative from the Virgin Islands. Madeline Dean, a representative from Pennsylvania. And Joe Neguse, a representative from Colorado. The House managers introduced their piece of, first piece of evidence, which was a video showing a timetable of things from the night of the election to the day of the insurrection, how things just got so crazy and out of control. Um, the news projected Biden won the presidential race, even though Trump had a press conference that he was projected to win and that he tweeted later on that he won a lot and that he was actually confident that he won that. Then November 17th, Trump fired the cybersecurity chief who declared the election was, quote, the most secure in history, countering Trump's fraud claims. November 20th, Trump met with uh, Michigan lawmakers to try to convince them to change their results. Here we go. November 25th, Trump did the same thing with Pennsylvania lawmakers. Then January 2nd, he pressured Georgia's Secretary of State to find votes and threatened that he wouldn't. It would be a criminal offense. Then January 6th, he had no more cards to play. So all he could do was leave it for his people to storm the Capitol. So 11 a.m., Trump begins his speech. 1 p.m., Mike Pence begins the electoral vote counting. 1.10, Trump sends his people to the Capitol, telling his supporters to fight like hell and never give up. 126, the terrorists breach Capitol grounds. A back order is given. 134, Mayor of Washington and U.S. Capitol Police asked the Department of Defense for help. And by the way, when I mentioned the EVAC order is given, the EVAC order within the Capitol is given. So, just letting people know. So, 2 p.m., the rioters get inside a Capitol. 2.30, the Senate is safely evacuated. 3.04 p.m., Department of Defense authorizes the D.C. National Guard. 5.40, the D.C. National Guard arrives. 8 p.m., the Senate reconvenes. And 3.44 a.m., joint session gavels out, confirming that Joe Biden is a president-elect. Now, within the video, it had explicit disturbing footage from the uh, terrorist side of the Capitol. Um... And what they were saying too within the the groups and everything, like thirty thousand, like someone said, we should bring thirty thousand guns inside. And so in total, uh, we'll do that next time. 
Uh, they had the shooting of the terrorist Ashley Bobbitt after she broke in the window um, to the House of Representatives where the VIPs were in and tried to climb through the window and see your service shot her. Um, then at the same time, like I said, they had Trump's speech sliced in when everything was happening too, such as when he tweeted that he loves him and stay peaceful well later into the whole chaos of things. Um, and then after that, the next video was a cop dying um, where they were beating him, uh, chanting to kill. Um, they were beating with flags and everything and all the debris and everything they had. And then they attacked the press, quote, saying, take down every one of these corrupt MFers. And it ended with the statement that 140 law enforcement officers have been injured and seven uh, took their lives. Then Senator Raskin started his um, introduction, telling the Senate that Trump wants them to think they have no power, which is true, because for them to think that this wasn't constitutional is actually stripping power from them. And he was proving that um, this was constitutional. And this was something that goes all the way back to the Federalist Papers before this was actually put in effect, the Federalist Papers from Alexander Hamilton, uh, John Jay, and Madison. And they were just about pushing for the Constitution to be put in effect in the government. And he was saying how Hamilton actually explained that the President of America would stand upon no better ground than a governor of New York and upon a worse ground than the governors of Maryland and De Delaware. He also emphasized that the President is even more accountable than it officials in Delaware so basically just saying that just because your president doesn't give you the supreme being powers above everyone else um, you're still held accountable like any other official so you have to hold them to that standard and there while discussing impeachment the framers repeatedly returned to the threat of presidential corruption aimed directly at elections the heart of self-government. Almost perfectly anticipating President Trump, William Davey of North Carolina explained impeachment was for a president who spared, quote, no effort or means whatever to get himself reelected. Hamilton in Federalist One said, the greatest danger to republics and the liberties of the people comes from political opportunists who begin as demagogues and end as tyrants and the people who are encouraged to follow them. President Trump may not know a lot about the framers, but they certainly knew a lot about him. That's exactly how it was. Trump started off talking mad trash, just being so down dirty. He was literally a demagogue. Um, he was the most deplorable one, and ending as a tyrant because he was out of line he threatened state officials he was trying to rile up his base tell them that their votes were stolen from them even though it wasn't got them angry and he actually lit the match quoting the lead house uh manager but he lit the match for insurrection to actually go on january 6th as a tyrant and those people were encouraged to follow them they actually followed them to commit an insurrection and try to stop democracy. But what they actually 
thought they were doing was patriotic duty because they actually believed everything that Trump was telling them. They actually, in their head, thought what they were doing was right. And that's why they actually didn't understand why they were in jail and being charged of things because they're, they're like, well, we were doing our patriotic duty. We were doing what we're supposed to do, even though the, no one should ever tell anyone, especially a government official, to go and march upon Congress while they're in effect and interrupt things. Because that's exactly what they did. All right. It's not like they went over there, went to the doors and were asking for a free tour. They stormed the Capitol. They interrupted things. They tried to kill people for Christ's sake. They they constructed gallows and were chanting, hang Mike Pence. Who the heck goes around saying that they want to hang the vice president and still think that's something patriotic? But of course, if you're listening to this demagogue that became a tyrant who's just constantly in your ear. You're just eating it up. That's exactly what it leads up to. Hamilton literally saw this coming and wrote that in the Federalist Papers. And Raskin was explaining why that is constitutional. The framers of the country had everything in effect for people like Trump who would get into power and abuse it as hell and try to hold on to it any means necessary. And... Also, one other thing he mentioned about, I'm a big history buff, so yeah, like when he was talking about uh, the framers, that really stuck with me. But another part was he was talking about John Quincy Adams. And this is actually, actually represents the aspect where someone can actually be impeached and convicted while they're outside of office. Uh, to quote uh, Quincy Adams that was used from the impeachment house, I hold myself so long as I have the breath of my breath of life in my body amenable to impeachment by the House for everything I did during the time I held any public office, quote. So he literally was saying that as long as he's alive, the House can actually impeach him for anything that he did during his term as a president. And that's actually should still count too that's exactly what they said was constitutional and it worked it really did there was a vote it was a hard vote but they just needed a majority vote which was 56 to 44 and they moved on to um having the impeachment trial the next day which was wednesday but before that um trump's defense team actually did speak up about his defense i mentioned two of them uh, previously, it was Bruce Castor and and Davis Goen. And lastly, uh, Vanderveen, um, Van, Vanderveer, he was brought in because Scoen wasn't available uh, for Saturday because of the Sabbath. So now the thing is, when they actually spoke to speak about the trial being unconstitutional, it's not funny, but really Bruce Castor went up there first and rambled on. He wasn't making any sense. He was just talking about just the Senate representatives just in his area and how they are. And he just kind of went on with his story, eventually started to try to tie in how it wasn't constitutional. Um, they really do a good job. And it it really showed <laughs> uh, Bill Cassidy, um, uh, Senator from Louisiana actually flipped cause he was thinking this wasn't constitutional. He actually voted for it to be constitutional cause he said the defense team was terrible. It really was. Um, after Bruce Castor just rambled on, Davis Gowen went up there and 
I gotta say, he was a he was a real uh, firecracker. I'll say that he was he was he was hot. He was real hot. He was mad. He was just just this rage. But he was saying that it wasn't constitutional because this was impeding on Trump's First Amendment. Which, by the way, uh, the House impeachment mentioned earlier that this not protected by the First Amendment when it comes down to inciting an insurrection, but. They were kind of dancing around that aspect of it and just saying that it was just attacking his First Amendment. And he was just saying one word and that didn't cause these people to to actually (laughs) attack the Capitol. Um, They did that on their own. But no, um, it didn't work. Uh, 56 of them voted for to move to trial and it did. Okay, so with the framers, the Federalist Papers, out of the way for now, even though that was really exciting that they brought it up for me, um, the evidence was, it was all overwhelming. I mean, it was just a breakdown of his, of Trump's words. He had a lot of video evidence of how incendiary his words were. Um, the big lie, the election was stolen. He made those slogans like, stop the steal, fight like hell but the thing is it's something he repeated over and over times it's not just something he said once or one day something he repeated to grow as a seed in these people's minds and just burn his bloom as fire when it went down in january 6th um for example like last spring when it looked like he was going to lose he actually said if he lost, it would be stolen. He threw that out there before the election even went down. He said if he lost, it would be stolen. Quote. And then he threatened states to change the votes. Um, even threatened uh, state departments, uh, state officials. Uh, tried to get Congress to block his votes. Tried to intimidate the vice president. Refused the certification of the vote. So basically, he was pressuring and threatening election officials pressuring the Justice Department, even his own attorney general, uh, Barr, basically, attacking senators and members of Congress, and then attacking the vice president for legitimately counting the votes, uh, the electoral votes on January 6th. So keep in mind, he amplified that the election was stolen, and he was telling his people to be ready to fight like hell. From August to November, December, January, kept repeating this he kept telling them this so it wasn't a one-off thing and then suddenly whoa what things got out of hands he stoked it for months and put in their heads that they would fight john kelly director of homeland security actually said it's no surprise that that attack happened the president cited that mob uh, he quoted the proud boy leaders from affidavit that quote they would kill mike pence and quote look for nancy pelosi to shoot her in the effing brain if we find her he actually sent assassins to murder the vice president and the speaker of the house and the thing is the defense kept trying to fight that what he was saying was just a one-off thing they're planning to do this anyway that it was almost as if it was a coincidence that trump gave him a speech about going to the capitol they were going to do it anyway um which the house managers brought a fine point, which was, what if this happened if Trump wasn't there? And actually, no, it wouldn't. Because he invited all those terrorists to go 
to Washington, D.C., January 6th. He tweeted that it's going to be wild time or something like that. He just tweeted that out there. And they actually showed up. They were invited. They actually, during their insurrection, were saying that they were invited by the president of the United States. But also, um, the House managers, they zeroed in on Trump's lack of remorse and the aftermath um, from just the trauma that the police suffered and everybody who worked there. It wasn't just the police. We're talking about the custodial staff. And not once did he give aid or say anything in a positive form to the people who suffered during that time. Uh, he didn't say anything like um, like he felt sorry for them and that uh, he's going to hope for them or anything like that. He didn't say anything that was comforting to anyone because honestly, what he thought was correct of what happened, and they were just casualties of what went down. Also, they covered... Um, the histories of violence from his rallies from 2015 with rallies of people getting beaten up and thrown out and he would hear about it and he would just laugh about it he would just encourage it what was happening and just i get on basically knowing that his base were violent people ready to do anything remember he actually told them that he could shoot someone on fifth avenue and nothing would happen to them and this trial was a good example of what he was talking about one thing I did like was um, about Michigan, because this was the first time the sa- uh, Capitol was sacked or invaded. Remember back in Michigan, um, the Capitol was stormed twice by Nazi radicals, and they told the governor to make a deal with them. Trumpy actually told that to the governor, that they're very good people. And basically, the house managers were saying that was dress rehearsal for the country's capital. Um, the Michigan governor because remember, they attacked the Capitol. They actually invaded the Capitol twice. And Trump kept egging them on, kept talking these negative things about the governor to the point that the mission and governor almost got kidnapped by the militia. And he never backed down by those words. And not just were they going to kidnap her, they may have executed her as well. So he knows how dangerous his fans are. And he knows that they will die for him. And his return will be more violent than before. And that's what this impeachment was about, preventing him from getting started again. Because Ted Lieu said it best. He said he's not afraid of Trump running again. He's afraid of him losing again. Because this is what we saw for one loss. But yeah, there's a lot to take in from uh, this trial, though. Um, His defense kept saying that... uh, is attacking his free speech, even though, again, free speech isn't protecting when it's incitement of insurrection, what he was actually on trial for, and that they couldn't um, impeach someone who's out of office. But actually, the quote from Adams, where he said that as long as he's alive, he could be impeached and tried for his time in office. The House has a power for that. But, you know, none of that applies to Trump at all, right? None of that did. But anyway, um, that's what his defense was saying. And also, keep in mind his defense. Um, so we actually talked about two of them already, Bruce Castor and David Scohan. But this third guy who showed up, he actually became the lead of the defense attorneys for Trump. His name it was Vanderveer. And, boy, David Scohan was a real firecracker. 
This guy was hell on wheels. He showed up angry and would not hold back. And it was ridiculous. Like, I'm sitting there like, what is this guy so mad about? And he, you know, they were saying that um, the videos and the evidence that they had were doctored. Oh, this was a doctored video. And then what the video they played was just extended video of a clip. Um, one thing with two was the doctored tweet that the house managers were using because he said there's one year on the tweet and next to is another tweet, the same tweet with a different year. But he didn't realize that it was the second one was a retweet. And what Twitter does is when you tweet, yes, it tags what year you wrote that. When you retweet, it tags the year of the retweet. So if I have a tweet from 2020, if I retweet it today, it'll say 2021. And he was trying to say that was doctored up. Actually, let me try something right now with Twitter. Yeah, that actually works with the tweet that was quoted. And that's what they actually had, just looking back at that too, because they had a quoted tweet. This guy, okay, so you know, I'm not trying to talk mean or anything, but he's a slip and fall lawyer, okay? Like, they seriously had Saul Goodman up there just defending Donald Trump for this impeachment trial. And, like, literally, his commercial is, hey, how are you doing this winter? Be safe and be careful where you walk because you'll slip and fall. If you do, you have a lawsuit. I'll see if I can find it and edit it here so you can hear it for yourself. Vanderveen, O'Neill, Hartshorn, and Levin wish you and your family a safe winter season. Whether you're walking down Chestnut or Market, Frankfurt or Aramingo, be careful and watch your step. But if the walkway isn't clear and you fall and get hurt due to snow and ice, call 215-546-1000 for Vanderveen, O'Neill, Hartshorn, and Levin. Trial lawyers excelling in the areas of law most critical to you and your family. 215-546-1000. To see their outstanding results and five-star client reviews, go to mtvlaw.com. The V is for victory. The dude is literally a slip and fall lawyer. But he followed a tactic that follows Trump's camp constantly for people that work for him. Remember I said earlier, David Scohan, I was like, that guy's a real firecracker and this guy is hell on wheels. Because every time someone is working for Trump, just representing him, they always have to have so much rage and anger. Uh, think of Sean Spicer, old Spicy. He started off his first press conference about numbers at the uh, inauguration, even though it wasn't true. And they were just asking about that. He started off angry. His press conferences are angry. Then Sarah Huckabee Sanders, her press conferences are angry. And then uh, the lady after her, I forgot her name. She was mad too. Then Nikki Haley, who was representing the UN, uh, US for the UN, she was angry as well. And now you have this guy who's angry. Everybody who is working for Trump, it's like he coaches them to present yourself in an angry manner to get your point across. And that's what they all do. It's, it's, it's an interesting tactic. It's such a Trump tactic that we see. We, of course, he does that all the time himself, you know, because when he's angry, of course, it gets his base angry. They live off of that. They, they, they've channeled that anger. So when other people representing him do that, they channel that anger as well. And then when they see the opposite not being angry, they think of that as weak. Oh, wow. I totally just got that right now. And that's exactly what his lawyer was doing. His lawyer actually said something with the audacity. He's like, this is like the worst time he had it, like in D.C. 
and you know representative raskin he was he responded he's like this this is your worst i'm sorry for that but man you should be here during the six which is true like think about that you're literally talking about the worst day in the capital and here you are saying that your worst day is representing them about like a day where these people thought they were going to be killed uh but you know of course, the slip and fall lawyer won. Of course, Trump won. Because 67 votes out of 100 senators is bloody impossible. The Republicans, the GOP, is either, you have one set that's dead set really in Trump's corner. Um, such as Hawley, for example. He's a big Trump fan. Um, he's really in his corner. He actually thought this whole trial was like kangaroo nonsense, of course. And then you have Ted Cruz and Marco Rubio, who Trump just made a clown out of them the whole time. But no matter what, they always capitulate to this man. Ted Cruz, he talked about him. He talked about his wife. He talked about his dad. And Ted Cruz ended up working for his campaign. And he is still in his corner. A lot of people actually think he has something on him. He probably does, because I cannot think what reason someone would actually work for someone that insulted you. Jeb Bush didn't end up working for Trump. Actually, the whole Bush family turned their backs on Trump. They actually said that election, they just weren't going to vote. Yeah, they probably voted for the other person. You know. <laughs> but that's actually how it is. And this divide... And Mitt Romney is against Trump as well. But remember, at first, he wanted to be on Trump's cabinet. It looked like he was trying to be on Trump's cabinet. But now he's anti-Trump for the past few years. So it seemed like Trump pushed him aside. He's like, screw it. You're bad for the Republican Party anyway. Or maybe he thought he could probably try to clean things up on the inside. I would like to think that about Mitt Romney. Um, yeah, like, I don't agree with everything he does. Um when it comes down to um, the Senate. But honestly, he does have some good ideas. And, you know, he's I'm not going to sit here and say, like, he's a terrible, sick human being because he actually is a good human being. You know, like, <laughs> come on, he hasn't, like, shot a man or anything. But, you know, not even just that. But Mitt Romney has standards and morals that you can always follow. Even before this, he had standards and morals. And that's what I was afraid of if he joined Trump, that his standards and morals would be in question and he would lose them. But um, no, he actually voted against it. Bill Cassidy as well. But the thing is, so you have people who actually think that this was a constitutional offense. And then you have Republicans who think the opposite. Those are in the majority that this actually showed a crack in the GOP, that there's a divide going on there. They're in, in a sense, they're having their own civil war that Trump is bringing up. And this either you're going to go with them or you're going to have to go away from them and make something else. And they were actually talking about that, too, in the week about creating another party or another faction within the party. The good thing about this is there's something now, a doctrine to say, that's officially in the records. So in case an insurrection does happen, there's something for them to reference. Evidence and proof to reference all the way back to the framers the founders of the country, um, the Federalist Papers, which I said was actually essays and articles written by three people, three of the founders, the framers, on why the Constitution is important to this country 
and what to do to protect things as well. Uh, who's above the law? No one's above the law. Basically, you can still be tried and convicted for what you do. Adels is saying that it doesn't matter how long you're in office, you can still try him for what he has done. And the same thing still stands here. One other thing I do want to clear up is near the end of the trial, after the Q&A, some booming evidence came out. Senator McCarthy practically got into a shouting match with Trump during the uh, insurrection was going down. And he was trying to call Trump off, trying to call Trump to uh, get these guys, just call them off from attacking the Capitol. First, Trump was trying to say, like, it's Antifa. He's like, no, they're wearing Trump hats and flags and everything. He was like, these are your people. So that they basically got into a back and forth argument. And he asked Trump, like, who the F do you think you're talking to? You know, <laughs> but then at the end of it, Trump told him to quote, this is it. Well, Kevin, I guess these people are more upset about the election than you are. Trump was still siding with these terrorists as they are attacking the Capitol, still thinking about the election over anyone's lives. McCarthy's life, Mike Pence, anybody in there. He was just thinking about those rioters and that they should get the job done. That's what that call was. They tried to bring that into evidence and they did. But also they wanted to bring in McCarthy as a witness or the person who heard it as a witness. And they were actually approving that. Now, here's the thing. When they got approved the witness, they were ready to bring him in. However, the Republicans told the House managers, if you guys bring in witnesses, we're going to turn this trial to a circus. They threatened to bring in Kamala Harris. They threatened to bring in Hillary Clinton. Um, they were threatened to bring in like just a crap ton of people, Elizabeth Warren, Nancy Pelosi and everything. Like They were trying to blame Nancy Pelosi for delaying this uh, impeachment till Trump's out of office, but actually it was Mitch McConnell that was delaying things because they want Nancy wanted the impeachment to go down while he was still there. But he was like, oh, let's just wait till the Senate reconvenes. And by then, Trump was gone. And it was just so ridiculous. So they called off the witnesses. It was going to extend the trial for too long. Republicans would have just said, hey, that's why no relief is coming to see you guys because this sham trial is being extended for no good reason. And at the same time, they were going to bring in other witnesses had nothing to do with the trial, just to make the trial look like an illegitimate circus, basically, rather than a serious impeachment trial. Cause that's what they wanted to do. They wanted to trivialize everything that was happening and also say it's unconstitutional, even though it was, but besides the call from McCarthy that came out, there's other news that went down that was adjacent to this as well. Um, Georgia, Fulton County, where Trump called in and threatened the state official, the secretary of state of Fulton County, asking for votes uh, is actually uh, the number of votes that he needed to win that state. Um, <laughs> he called in and actually stated that official Fulton County is now opening a federal investigation to Trump. So here's another thing about this that was important about the impeachment. There's now two investigations that lead to a civil trial towards Trump. One in New York for the taxes that he's been dodging 
for years that finally came out in Fulton County about him threatening uh, state officials for soliciting votes. Now, there's all this evidence the House managers presented that will be used for these trials, that can be used for these trials, so how he abuses power and how he was just trying to cover things up so things wouldn't come out, basically. And those civil trials, unlike this, because the jurors, 43 of them, were illegitimate jurors. They, 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 they were biased already. So he is actually going to be doomed for these civil trials, it's looking like, especially if they use the evidence that the house managers perfectly brought up because it's irrefutable evidence that Trump's defense team could even defend against it. They had to attack other things by saying, like, this is unconstitutional. And that retweet of yours isn't actually a right retweet. It's edited, even though it was a quoted tweet. Even I quoted Michio Kaku just now on Twitter and has been updated for my phone right now as of today. Crazy, huh? So what was happening at the executive end of things? Well... Uh, this was going on with the legislative branch. Well, basically, uh, President Joe Biden, he announced that 200 million more vaccine doses are coming on the way as the death toll for uh, U.S. increases. So he's actually been like he said, he was going to use this time to focus more on what needs to be done. The vaccine. Now, keep in mind about uh, the covid relief, because the Senate actually voted for the but the bill, the budget of it, which worked out perfectly, it was going to go back to the Senate now to approve it. Um, so the White House doesn't have to do any more regarding that. That's all set up too. Uh, the Senate's going to be going on vacation for this week, but the House is going to be working as well. So they're not going to be on vacation. We're going to see what else they bring up. Um, one cool thing too was... Um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Chuck Schumer uh, joined together and are paying for funerals for families that can't afford them for um, their loved ones and friends during this time with COVID going on. It's a funeral cost. It's going to be a $260 million budget, I believe, for funeral costs in um, New York for low-income families. So... Hopefully that expands. Um, they, since they're in, you know, representing New York, it's easy for them to represent New York. But hopefully other states will pick up on something like that. Um, that's going to also be added to the American Relief Bill that's been introduced as well. Um, oh, no, it's called the American Rescue Plan. Excuse me. Um, they said they're working to include that to the American Rescue Plan to make that a national thing, too, a federal thing, too. So that's in Biden's plan. But, uh, yeah, I think that was a pretty good addition. Uh, something good right there to work on. So, But, yeah, whew, boy, what a week, huh? Um, Trump is acquitted, but he still has several civil trials, too, right now looming over his head. Evidence brought up in this impeachment trial could be used for that. Impeachment trial is actually good for the record on what to do for insurrections during this time. Uh, this generate exception to the rule. Hopefully it'll still be challenged in the future in case someone tries to pull that off. But no, it was um, it was very enlightening to see too. 
uh, especially about the framers. So I've never seen that play uh, Hamilton, but I'll be honest with you. People are telling me because I was telling them like, oh, yeah, the Federalist Papers, of course. They're like, oh, man, you saw Hamilton? Not at all. Just know about history. That's all. They're like, oh, you should see Hamilton. So, yeah, that's how my uh, podcast ends for the day. Talking about the play Hamilton. I, I know the musical, I mean, excuse me, I said the play Hamilton is a musical. But yeah, I hope it's I hope it's good. Maybe I'll watch it. Is it still on Disney Plus? Hopefully it's there. Well, that's that. And uh, I'll see you next week. Again, if you enjoy what you heard, go ahead, like, follow, subscribe, do your thing, you know. And um, my name is Dave, Dave Bowen. And I am on uh, Twitter as a guy called Dave. Keep in touch. You can see the tweet from Michio Kaku that I uh, quoted, that I retweeted. So that's in there as proof, by the way. <laughs> so knock yourself out. But uh, yeah, enjoy uh, your week, everybody. Uh, be awesome to each other. Stay safe.